Jonah prayed to the Lord. That's a good thing, right? But listen to the prayer. It was not, as I encourage you to, it was not an anointed, inspired supplication, inspired from the very throne of God. It was this, I don't know of any other way to say it other than to tell you it was this weird mixture between a scathing indictment and a bold declaration of the truth. Is that weird or what? I'm Terry Knight, the pastor here at New Life Community Church. I thank you so much for turning us on, tuning us in. I trust, as always, that the Lord's going to bless you all over the place as we fellowship together here for the next several moments. We're going to try to wrap up or to begin to wrap up a series that we began several weeks ago from the book of Jonah. We're going to find ourselves toward the end of Jonah. This is part three, actually, of the series. But it's going to talk to you about this. Listen to this. I'm quoting myself somewhat. Listen. God often intervenes with harsh-appearing persuaders. Harsh-appearing persuaders that actually ultimately serve to influence us to see things His way. Now, I may be speaking to someone, probably I'm speaking to someone right now. You have veered off the straight and narrow, and God has used some circumstances to bring you back, and it appeared harsh when you were going through it. But ultimately, it proved to be God's love for you and His commitment and His faithfulness and His mercy to you if you really want to get down to it. Well, that's what we're going to be looking at in this particular uh, part of the series as we wrap up Jonah, and I trust it will be an encouragement to you. Obviously, our text passage is Jonah chapters 3 and 4. I want to read an additional verse in your hearing right now that uh, we're going to talk about very early on in the teaching. So give it a listen. It's found in Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet of Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse number 3. The record puts it this way. So... I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot. Listen to this. Shaping it as seemed best to him. Shaping it as seemed best to him. A loving Caring, gracious, merciful God, shaping the clay as seemed best to Him. What a thought. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each one listening in right now. And I pray, Lord, in particular, for that one that may be listening. They've strayed away. They're not in lockstep with you. They're kind of doing their own thing, very much like Jonah from days gone by. I pray you'd speak to their heart, and I pray that you'd work in their life to bring them back into fellowship with you, that sweet, wonderful, glorious fellowship that we know as being in victory in our relationship with Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, you hang on. I'm going to be back here in just a little while to wrap things up. God bless.
you a little bit of background as we head into the final part of this series. Jonah's story, the whole of Jonah's story is typically remembered by the simple truth regarding his disobedience and his encounter with a giant fish. Now listen, the, the entire fishy part of the story reflects two important details. First of all, when God wants something done, a man's stubbornness about doing it doesn't deter God. Are you with me? God doesn't, watch this, God doesn't need us. He didn't wake up this morning and look at Jesus and say, Man, alive, I sure hope those people in Ridgeway love us today. He doesn't need us. He chose us. And we, whoever you are, you need him. Oh, not me. Oh, yes, you do. You need him. Secondly, God has an incredible, and we use that word so much it's almost not incredible anymore, but God has this incredible forbearance when it comes to following through with his purpose. Number one on your study notes, God often intervenes with harsh appearing from the physical perspective, harsh appearing persuaders that actually ultimately serve to influence us to, quote, see things His way. Now, Jonah, Jonah's story certainly is an example of what I'm talking about, but I want to take you to another example over in the New Testament. It's found in Acts chapter 9, and I want to read this with you. If you have your Bibles, you can look it up. Otherwise, it will appear on the screen. The address is on your notes, and here's what it says. Meanwhile, Saul, that we know him as the Apostle Paul, this is before his conversion and before his name changed, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Wow, is this the same guy that gave us the book of 1 Corinthians? That gave us the book of Colossians? That gave us the book of Romans? Yeah, same guy, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Verse 3 of the same chapter. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Where did that light come from? Heaven. Verse 9, for three days. How long was Jonah in the belly of the big fish? All righty then. This is interesting. For three days, Saul was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. Obviously, he wasn't a knighton. Just just kidding. He, He was really, really overwhelmed. Look at verse 17. Then Ananias, I'm going to suggest something to you, and you can I can be proven wrong about this, but I'm going to suggest to you that Ananias is Saul's big fish. Okay? Then Ananias went to the house, this is where Saul was, and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, you know when you see brother in the New Testament, it's not just some colloquialism, some metaphorical use, but he's talking about a member of the forever family of God. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent 
me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I would be the first to admit to you that Jonah's story and Saul's story, their experiences, they're extreme. Would you agree? I mean, when's the last time you've been swallowed up by a big fish or some lightning bolt from heaven hit you and blinded you for a few days? But these stories make a point, a tremendous point. Said that to say this, that's not all the story with regards to Jonah. You see, the fish regurgitated Jonah in chapter 2 and verse number 10. However, there's approximately 21 of the 48 verses of the narrative left to teach us some things. There's yet a lot that we can learn from Jonah. Some things we shouldn't do and a whole lot of things we should do. So first, let me go back to this. I've been talking to you for the last three weeks about ministry calling. Say that with me. Ministry calling. You have one, whoever you are. Even if you have not been born again yet, when you are, you have a ministry calling, an assignment from God. Listen, that ministry calling isn't about us. What I'm doing before you right now is not about me. And nobody in this world knows that any better than me does. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about what we can do. It's not about my opinions. It's not about my attitudes. But beloved, it's about God Almighty's purposes and plan. And watch this, what He can do when we simply say yes to that plan, watch this with a sold out, 100% resolve to let go and let God mold the clay. In other words, instead of us trying to mold God, come here God, I see you God, let me make me a little God out of this big God. No, we see ourselves as the clay. That reminds me of a story. There's a clay story in the Bible. Did you know that? You find it in Jeremiah. Look up that, look that up with me if you would, please, or look up at the screen. Jeremiah 18 and 3. Here's what we read. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. Verse 4. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. I resemble that remark. And as I look upon this fine congregation this morning, I see it's reflected as well. How many of you here this morning willing to admit that you are a marred piece of work? Hmm? He was shaping from the clay that he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him, the potter not the pot. Quite often, we think of God's calling, think of it as, as being about our abilities, even being about our resources. And so we have this attitude, God chose me because I'm super special. God chose me because of all this talent I have. Why, look, why wouldn't God choose me? And, and, beloved, in that respect, we end up doing things 
in the flesh. Everybody say in the flesh. We end up doing things in the flesh and powerless. We end up falling flat on our faces and then wonder what the world happened. I thought I was all that in a bag of chips. Come to find out in the spiritual realm, I wasn't all that great. Quite often, we end up thinking that it's about us and we run like Jonah because some people do not have a lot of talents and abilities and resources and they realize it. Or perhaps what we're about to find out, there's something else going on in their little brain. Sometimes we end up because we think it's all about us with a like Paul. I'm stretching this just a little bit, but we end up with that deer in the headlight look. God, you want me to do what? Number two on your study notes. This is very, very important. Jonah got caught up in a trap. You ever been in a trap? Jonah got caught up in a trap. A trap of allowing his personal bias hmm, to dictate his response to God's moving. You know, it's sad in some respects, but all of us usually respond to God's movement according to our personal bias. And we all have one, but what we need to do is to decide what what and how we're going to deal with that personal bias. That's kind of what this is about this morning. So let's break this down just a little bit. After the, the three-day dinner where Jonah was the main entree, how many of you like seafood? <laughs> well, the, Jonah probably never wanted any more. But after this three-day dinner where he was the main entree, we read this in verse 3 of Jonah chapter 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now again, this was the second occasion after the regurgitation of Jonah. Now, ironically, I recently discovered this. I did not know this, but Nineveh's God, probably many, but uh, their primary God was Dagon, the fish God. Do you find that ironic? Does God have a sense of humor or what? So, so fitting that God prepared Jonah for his assignment by keeping him inside an image that was worshipped by the Ninevites. And what was Jonah's message? Watch this. Those of you aspiring to be preachers, prophets, and so on and so forth, Jonah's simple prophetic message that God gave him is found in verse 4, the latter part of the verse. Forty more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Say that right out loud with me. Forty more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. What a masterpiece of eloquent articulation. Eight words. Eight words. But look what happened when the God called, not the super talented, not the all-stars, but the God called. Look what happens when the God called, obey and speak forth what God tells them to proclaim. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. They accepted the message. Jonah was speaking. They took it as from God. They accepted the message. They declared a fast. And all of them, how many of them? 
It says all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And just by way of uh, explanation, that's a sign of repentance. They put on these burlap garments and it went on and on and on. Uh, When they repented, they really repented. They put forth a lot of effort and energy. Folks, listen, I am telling you as a preacher, it don't get no better than that. An eight-word sermon, I wouldn't even have to study that much. I could play golf a couple of times this week and memorize that message and, and on and on and on. But they preached that message and the people believed it and they repented, all of them, from the greatest to the least one of them. Wow. And it even included the king. I think it's incredibly important. How important? Incredibly important to point out that God warned the Assyrians or the Ninevites before sending judgment. Listen to me, America. I mean, new life. God warned them before sending judgment. God gave them the opportunity to repent. By the way, such opportunities always come by way of a prophetic voice It still blows my mind that God uses flawed human beings like your pastor and like this bitter prophet that we're reading about to do his bidding. But he did and he still does. Verse 10 of Jonah chapter 3, When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Now, I'm sure that you're expecting, like myself, to read in the following verses about how over-the-top excited and blessed the preacher was for this move of God. But then convenes, One of the most disappointing, one of the most confusing, one of the most really ultimately revealing passages in all of the Word of God. Look in chapter 4, verse 1. After this great move of God, we read, But Jonah. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. The first time I ever read that, I'm like, what the what? What? Then notice, if you will, please, that he prayed to the Lord. Jonah prayed to the Lord. That's a good thing, right? But listen to the prayer. It was not, as I encourage you to, it was not an anointed, inspired supplication, inspired from the very throne of God. It was this, I don't know of any other way to say it other than to tell you, it was this weird mixture between a scathing indictment and a bold declaration of the truth. Is that weird or what? It was, in fact, watch this, the unvarnished emotion of a ranting, self-centered, self-absorbed, 
xenophobic old windbag of a prophet that was, and I'm headed to number three on your study notes, was spouting God's word with his big old floppy tongue, but refusing to love God's word in his heart. Wow. I love God. But God knows our hearts. Our hearts. By the way, somewhere or another, I think our tongues are connected to our hearts. Did you know that? I recently heard one of my mentors preach to me some stinging words, actually. And it went like this. You can preach it. Can you live it? Tension that every preacher should feel. You can preach it. Can you live it? Even after what I've referred to as a whalish near-death experience, Jonah was yet praying Lord, not your will, but my will be done. Isn't that what he was praying? By the way, you cannot insert the word Lord into that prayer. Lord is not just God's first name. Lord, beloved, is his position of authority. So do you understand, Lord, not your will, but mine be done is just ridiculous? How many of you know Jonah wasn't there yet? He needed an attitude adjustment. Hmm? Oh, yeah. He needed God to take his belt off to his hind end. He needed an attitude adjustment. Jonah displayed his humanity in graphic and unadulterated fashion. He basically had a hissy fit. You know what a hissy fit is? I mean, he seriously just had a hissy fit with the great, awesome, sovereign God. Who does that? Jonah. He blurts out two things. One of them was very subjective. subjective. The other one was pretty objective. He says this in his prayer. I knew this was going to happen. Knew this was going to happen? What? He continues on, and I'm reading from the message, the paraphrase. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans into uh, your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. Jonah knew this? So Jonah puts forth that he knew and believed that God is a God that hears a person's cry for mercy and grace and forgiveness. That God is purposed to answer those pleas with positive forgiveness. Jonah knew this. He not only knew it, he believed it. How many of you know just knowing something doesn't necessarily mean you believe it? But here it indicates that he not only knew it, but he did believe it. So what's the problem? What is the problem? 
headed to number four on your study notes. Now, you'll really have to think about this one. But apparently, the problem was the prophets airing orthopraxy. Is what? Preacher, I'm not even sure you can say that in church. His orthodoxy, which is belief, was good. Watch this. Beloved, we're going to cut in right there. We'll look forward to wrapping this up with you or sharing the back half of this with you next week. But let me just reiterate something that, uh, that we've talked about here. Isn't it uh, It's just amazing what happens when God's called servant proclaims that which God has influenced him or inspired him to proclaim. When the Word of God is sent out, it will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent, and that is the salvation of mankind. Will you listen to that? That is God's purpose and plan. That is the overarching theme of what God does. He wants to have a relationship with you, whoever you are. Now, I want to say God wants to have a relationship with humankind, and that's true. But uh, He really wants to have a, a relationship with you as an individual. So many find that very difficult to believe and to comprehend, but it is true. He wants to have a relationship with you. His Word makes that very clear. It's not God's will that any perish. Listen to that. Not God's will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. All would include you. Pastor Terry, how does that happen? It's very simple. Listen, we come into this world with a sin problem. We do. And you can't go to heaven with that sin problem. Then what's the solution? The solution is Jesus on the cross. He died in our place for your sins and mine. But we must accept that. How do we do that? By confessing our sins, repenting of our sins, opening up our heart's door and inviting Christ to come in by Holy Spirit. And we just believe, we put our trust in the fact that God will do what He said He would do. Have you had that experience? Have you confessed your sins, repented of your sins? Have you been born anew, born again, and filled with Spirit of Almighty God and established a relationship with God? If not, you can do that right now, and that would be my prayer for you. Lord, I pray for that one that's listening, that perhaps they've never been born again. Maybe right now is that time as they confess and repent and believe and receive. I pray that you would start, begin that work in their heart that you will carry on until the day of completion. Father, I also pray for those that may be listening right now. They've strayed away. They've known better days, but they've allowed sin to creep into their life. As they confess that and repent of that, I pray that you would forgive them, reestablish them on the rock, which is Jesus, and bless their coming days. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, listen to me. If you made uh, any kind of profession or recommitment, we'd love to hear from you. There's some contact information there on the screen. Everybody texts nowadays and emails and so on and so forth. Uh, the old-fashioned letters are kind of a thing of the past. But we'd love to hear from you by regardless of or irregardless of what method you use. Let us know. It would help us here in terms of what we do at New Life Telecast. I want to remind you before I go off of here tonight uh, that New Life has a regular schedule of activity. Sunday morning 
at 10 o'clock, midweek activities, Wednesday night. We call that Family Ministries Night. also want to remind you that divorce care is in session just now. If you'd like more information about that, again, there's some contact information on the screen. Give us a call. We'll put you in touch with the right people. I'm Terry Knight, the pastor of New Life Community Church, wishing you a great day. And remember, my friends, Jesus is coming back. Is He coming back for you?